being authentic is actually a really great foundation to really, really grow your company or to grow inside of companies. So I think that, you know, be yourself. Find workplaces that let you be yourself and can bring your whole self to work. We're really looking at a world where everybody is co-creating the future, not just those from privilege and those from the power structures of old. This is my responsibility to go through Minecraft and just like fly around. Yeah, <laughs> so fun. There is this community of doctors and nurses and paramedics that have been really, really brought down by the pandemic. But there are people out there to listen to them and talk with them. And not just about medical stuff, but sometimes you just need to talk about normal life rather than anything else. And it's that sharing that allows a community to go from a group of people talking to each other to a group of people who are co-creating knowledge. Welcome to Participate. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Dr. Julie Kane. On the podcast, when National Writing Project was looking to develop a community of practice to support their college, career, and community writers program, they reached out to participate to help them make that happen. We'll speak to National Writing Project's Rachel Baer about how they're building this community to support amazing writing learning opportunities. Also, we'll wrap up this first season of the podcast talking about some of our favorite moments. Let's get started. So, Julie, as we tie a bow around season one of the podcast, even changing some of the format midstream, learning a lot, working yep. with each other very closely. And, you know, I, I definitely think podcasts, especially when you're working with someone like I work with Glenn Irvin on, on education, it takes a little bit of time to develop sort of a, you know, a, a rapport, a banter Absolutely. doing yeah. this sort of stuff. And so we learned a lot of things, which is fun. And it's literally what we do. And we're both kind of really good learners, I would like to think anyways. Yes, um, I agree. I, I thought it would be fun to do a bit of a season in review. Um, I love we talked to a lot of unbelievable people. I, I worry about, you know, what season two is going to look like. I know. How are we going to like beat that? Yeah. <laughs> because, because of all the amazing, we should have saved some of them for season two. Um, but if you could think back on, you know, all of the folks that we spoke to, what are some of the things that you're still thinking about today? So I'm just thinking about all of the diverse voices we heard on the podcast, and I think it speaks to what you were talking about in terms of us learning. So I've learned so much about communities of practice by the people that are actually using these frameworks across a diverse set of organizations with diverse sets of stakeholders. So some of the episodes that really stand out, and they all do, um, was starting launching with our dear friend and partner, Margaret Honey from the New York Hall of Science around community and museums role in building community. Emma Hardley from Domestic Violence Resource Center in Victoria, Australia, who is using a community of practice framework to build competence and doing technical assistance for folks that are working in the area, the critical areas around domestic violence prevention. And Andrew Tagg, don't forget the bubble. Talk about someone who has really put something into practice. Think about those value cycles. That is really applied value. They are seeing realized value in bringing um, health workers to really learn, uh, particularly during this past year and a half around COVID. And just think about our partner, Shelly Bell from Black Girl Ventures and Jossie Ross from LA Works, right? Thinking about community activism, thinking about building entrepreneurship across 11 cities. I mean, I think we've learned about how the power of using this framework 
um, to have direct impact in the community. It's not theoretical, right? It's not academic. You know, when we did our deep dive, just the two of us, we were able to do that kind of after these all these conversations because we had learned so much about really the direct value of bringing people together, of building on collective wisdom, of knowledge creation, all of the things that we know sustained communities of practice can produce. Um, so that's what's really standing out. And I like us thinking about kind of pulling that sort of best ofs over the summer to share out with folks um, to really kind of share um, are learning in a really intentional way, um, you know, building um, from all of these different episodes to kind of share the value stories, right? We've been talking about the storytelling aspect, um, the power of storytelling when you're talking about communities of practice. And I think that's what really has kind of stood out for me um, after all of these great conversations. Yeah, I mean, you listed you you named off like half of the people we talked. I to. know, I couldn't okay. pick. I couldn't pick. <laughs> um, what about you? you? Know, uh, you know, a couple months later, I'm still thinking about our conversation with Andrew Tag all yeah. the time um, about the idea of creating community out of necessity, mm-hmm. um, which is super interesting. This idea that that um, you know, with COVID nineteen, there was a medical emergency and no one knew what to do anywhere in the world. And so when you get a bunch of medical practitioners together that are passionate about learning from each other and, and desperately need to quickly share each other's experiences with each other in order to help save lives, um, especially at the start of the pandemic when people were dying and they didn't know how to help them, um, those kind of things are, are, are what communities of practice are all about. Uh, you know, finding that need, that, that problem that you're looking to solve, that change that you want to make, that difference that you want to make in the world, and then gathering your people together to make that difference, whatever it is. Right. I, I think that, I think that if I could suggest any one episode for people to go back and listen to, it would be that one because you will see an example of that in action of someone, a group of people identifying a difference that they think they need to make um, and a challenge that is persistent and present and, and constant and then finding a way to solve it with communities of practice. It was so great. What I was also thinking about, Andrews, and, and some of the others was the idea of how you learn in practice. So something I think now that you're speaking about, Andrew, it was the kind of constant change of knowledge that was coming out in academic articles, the need to get this to the community of of health practitioners as fast as possible in a way that's synthesized and ready to be put into practice right away. And then having those practitioners bring back what they learned. It wasn't just a book group. (laughs) <laughs> or or reading an academic article together, they were taking that learning, they were throwing it into their local context, and then bringing that learning back to the community, which then helped across these diverse contexts. And I think the other, you know, just going back to some of the examples I gave before, Shelly Bell from Black Girl Ventures, a lot of that was about scale. So how do you use a community of practice framework, bringing everyone together to really scale quickly and make sure that you're learning as much as possible across these contexts of getting people to sort of help each other, even if their unique contexts are different. 
Um, so I think I agree. Uh, we, we learned a lot, but I agree. There's a couple of those episodes that um, we really hope people go back to and listen to over the summer as we plan for season two. And I think as a teaser for season two, what we're starting to think about is something, you know, is something called landscapes of practice. And this is also connected to an idea of networked uh, communities mm-hmm. of practice. And that there is a whole theoretical framework around network communities. And it is really about how would we string together all of these partners that we work with. Sometimes they, they do find each other, you know, in our in our platform, but we're going to really be working both in the technology part and in our thought partnership around really making these communities visible to one another. So what could... Andrew or Shelley learn from Jossie Ross? What could Margaret Honey at NYSI be learning from Rachel Bear at National Writing yeah. Project? They're not doing the same work. They're not going to apply it specifically, but there might be something about these diverse perspectives that, again, bring you to that fifth value cycle of reframing. How does that change the way you approach the problem that you were suggesting is really sometimes the real spark for a community of sort of practice to, to kind of come together. Um, so I think that's, that's certainly where my head is at. And a lot of the reading and uh, work I'll be doing this summer um, is really around understanding how we really sort of tie these folks together. How do we create that visualization and visibility um, and, and really have folks connect across these communities of practice. Yeah. Building the technology to make that happen isn't easy. And, and yeah, I think we, we do a, an okay job of that, but we're definitely talking about it a lot more right now. And, and That's right. you know, this idea of learning together isn't just learning inside of your community. Learning, learning together right. is learning from people that together. are, uh, yeah, outside of your community, in another community. Mm-hmm. You know, the benefit being that if you have multiple communities that are connecting each other to each other, um, through this idea of landscapes of practice, they're already used to learning and working in a community of practice. And so now we're just expanding that so that they learn from o- other communities as well. Um, and there's a lot to learn there. There's a lot of growth that can happen when you step outside of even your um, your community of practice and go take a look at someone else's. And I think, you know, really in terms of just the times we are living in, right? I mean, one of the biggest challenges is how siloed, how existing big social media platforms are creating echo chambers, right? And making it much more difficult for people to talk across them. And certainly that's true in the U.S. political context. And we can sort of see um, really how damaging that can be, uh, certainly to democratic society. So I I think there's a larger mission here of how can you really build those byways across these different uh, communities to really get people talking to each other. Yeah, 100%. So stay on the lookout for season two. Please don't remove this feed from your podcast player. We will be back with a season two in the fall. Um, we're going to we're gonna do some reading. We're going to do some writing, Julie. Uh, yes. Hopefully. Uh, and, and, and hopefully um, come back in the fall with, with some really great ideas and some really great and we'll hopefully come back in the fall with some really great ideas and some really great guests. And when we come back, we'll have our conversation with National Writing Project's Rachel Baer. So stay with us. 
Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. After eight years as a high school language arts teacher, Rachel Bear spent two years as the co-director of the Idaho Corps Coaches for the Idaho State Department of Education. She supported teachers in implementing the Next Generation Standards. She's currently a senior program associate for the National Writing Project. Her work at NWP supports the College Career and Community Writers Program, which focuses on improving academic writing in rural school districts. Welcome to the Participate podcast, Rachel Bear. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Hey, Rachel. Hi, Julie. So happy to have you. So, Rachel, for more than 46 years, the National Writing Project has cultivated teacher learning to improve the teaching of writing. Can you share a little bit about NWP's approach to teacher learning and its roots in connected learning theory? Yeah, so just just a sort of overview of what the National Writing Project is. We are a professional development organization um, that's actually made up of a network of sites that are housed at higher education institutions across the country. So it's around 175 local writing project sites um, who have traditionally been the place where teachers go to um, to engage in National Writing Project work and to get connected to our network. So traditionally, it started with the what we call the Invitational Summer Institute. So going way back to when uh, the National Writing Project was founded in 1974, that was sort of the beginning of the work for teachers. You would come together in a space at a local writing project site. And the focus um, or the approach to professional development is very much about developing teachers as leaders. And so um, at that ISI, it really starts at the center of it with teachers sharing their expertise in their practice that's grounded in their own classrooms. So for example, I went through the my local writing project site at Boise State Writing Project after my second year of teaching um, and just started there naming, looking at student writing and my instruction and sharing with other teachers approaches that I had used. In, in having success in teaching writing to students. So that's a pretty you know typical story of how someone would get into the writing project, although in the last several years, we've been exploring um, alternative pathways to leadership and pathways to the National Writing Project. But a phrase you'll hear often is that the National Writing Project is a professional development organization that is focused on teachers teaching teachers. So if you go to a professional development session or a workshop or any like offering from the National Writing Project, it's designed and facilitated by teachers themselves, teachers as writers. So, um, but after that, you know, a lot of a lot of people come to it through the Summer Institute, but then they're given, as you know, this is related to connected learning, opportunities to expand their work with the National Writing Project based on the relationships that they develop at the Summer Institute and their local writing project site and their own interests. And so, again, going back to just my own story, I went through my local writing project, but after that, got multiple opportunities to engage with teachers on a national level around things that were interesting to me or that I was thinking about in my own practice. So, um, yeah, there's no end to it. I think that's an important thing to note about this is that it, it, there's so many opportunities for teachers based on what they're interested in. And local writing project sites, along with the National Writing Project, are just looking for ways for teachers to be involved in the conversation around education um, and to be sharing with other teachers their expertise and going public with their practice. That's great. So just picking up just, you know, we've been 
fans of National Writing Project, certainly are my whole career, and um, have kind of bumped up with National Writing Project, certainly at the Connected Learning conferences, um, in the digital media and learning, just space in general. Thinking about across those sites, how you develop communities of practice to support youth and educators. Can you tell us a little bit about your approach to building communities of practice across these sites and with these teachers? Yeah, Julie, and it actually does go back. Now we have, you know, so many affordances when it comes to digital spaces and online spaces for communities of practice, but I'll say the current versions of them are all very much um, informed by uh, this foundation, which started with teachers coming together at local universities to collaborate and to work together and to share their practice and their expertise. Now, as we have access to more digital spaces and online communities, we've had a goal over probably the last 10 years or so to, I mean, really, I guess this has always been a goal of ours, mm -hmm. but now looking at digital spaces as a way to bring the National Writing Project to as many teachers as possible. Because what we know is that it, we are an organization that works for teachers, that transforms their practice, that you know lifts teachers up um, as leaders. And so we started to think about how to get that program to or to, the, to our organization to as many teachers as possible. So starting with um, just in the last couple of years, a uh, real focus on social media. So we've mm -hmm. always had a social media presence, but we did a very deliberate, uh, small research study looking into where teachers go online for resources and why they go to certain places. And so using our learning out of that, we've really thought more about Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, mm -hmm. and how each one of those spaces can become a place for teachers to go and, and to go looking for things that are interesting to them, to find opportunities and to build relationships with other educators who are interested in the same kinds of things that they're interested in. Um, and we've also developed um, multiple iterations of different communities of practice, like the current one that's pointed to on our website, which is a place where teachers can go as writers and share resources and also publish their own writing. Uh, so it won't surprise you also that another foundation of NWP is teachers as writers themselves. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that's another thing we look into in our community of practice mm. is to give teachers opportunities to, to write about their own practice. Um, we have another space called Write, Learn, Lead, which is, um, again, these, the, everything that's in these spaces are created by teachers in our network, um, and then they contribute to these digital spaces to share their practice. I mentioned earlier that we've actually, in the last several years, started really thinking explicitly about pathways to leadership outside of the traditional summer institute. So, um, and again, this is about a really about equity and access for teachers, making sure that every teacher in the country has access. If teachers don't have access to a local writing project site because of distance, just geographic distance, or even if you know our summer programs or our invitational institutes are usually offered in the summer, almost always have been offered in the summer. So you might have teachers who have young kids at home who couldn't make it for that reason, or who teach summer school or who have other things going on. So we started to think about if this is a professional development organization that works for teachers, how can we make sure to give access to that to all teachers? Mm -hmm. And in the process of having that conversation, we were actually able to articulate some social practices um, that teachers engage in that we would call the National Writing Project social practice, practices. Um, and so in articulating those, I think they've also helped us think about online community of practice, practice that we might have and how to bring in these social practices to any community of practice. Mm -hmm. 
So they are, like I mentioned before, writing. Teachers who are NWP teachers write themselves. Um, they also go public with their practice in various different ways through writing, but also through workshops or online opportunities or professional development offering. Um, they learn themselves. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we name that as an important thing. And they also collaborate. So looking, you know, in any community of practice, how you can come together to connect and collaborate around areas of interest. And then, of course, like I mentioned before, teachers as leaders. And then finally, um, they advocate for themselves, for their students, for education in general. So those are some things that you'll see that we're thinking about, regardless of the community practice we're building, whether it's face-to-face actually, or in an online space that we focus on making sure that those six things are part of regular practice for participants in those communities. So our teams, and we're thrilled to have connected with you uh, around creating an online community of practice for the College Career Communities Writers Program. Can you tell us about your thinking, your design thinking for this community of practice, um, what your experience has been so far, and what you've learned through the process of moving, um, you know, a community to an online space? Sure. I think to start that, I'll just give just a pretty brief history of uh, the College Career and Community Writers Program, or C3WP, which I'll refer to it from that from here on out, because as you probably noticed, Mike gets a bit of a mouthful. So um, this actually started way back. Our work with C3WP was in 2013. This is when I was still a classroom teacher, hadn't started working for NWP full-time, but through um, funding from the federal government in um, what's called an I3 Investing in Innovation Grant, we started the work of of C3WP, which was called the College Ready Writers Program way back. Um, And then since then, we've had multiple iterations of this program funded from various different funding sources um, and have developed the program over time, but it's also been evaluated in three randomized control trials, and we found that there's a statistically significant difference in student writing from students who um, experience C3WP in comparison to students who don't. So the long way of saying we have this program that we built around um, civically engaged source-based argument writing. And when we got our most recent I3 grant, um, which is a five-year grant, and it's um, um, moving beyond. So we had validated the program, but now this is scaling it up. We always had a goal in the fifth year of that program to disseminate C3WP. So much like we want to disseminate the National Writing Project to as many teachers as possible, we wanted to make sure to disseminate this research-based program to as many teachers and young people as possible. So original plan was to build a website and put our resources on the website from C3WP. We had multiple iterations of Google Sites, you know, over the years where we put our resources up. Um, And so what we realized, though, is actually what we wanted was to create a community of practice around this. So looking for a place to bring educators together, both, you know, those who had been connected with writing project sites, who'd done C3WP before in the past, and and teachers who'd never had access to it before. So, um, and to build in, actually, foundational to the program are three parts. I may be taking another step back, but we had instructional resources, formative assessment tools, and then professional development, which up to this point had largely been supported by local writing project sites through grants from C3WP. So now we were saying, if we want to get this program to as many teachers as possible, how can we expand that through a community of practice that focuses on 
teaching argument writing, and actually really what we found were the most high leverage parts of that program that had been developed over the last, um, I guess now, eight or nine years. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, so that's when we started looking for a space for that. And, you know, after looking at a few different options, participate seemed like the right place for us to build this community of practice that it had the right feel and theory and affordances um, when it came to what we were thinking about what this might look like. So, so far, our development has largely been focused on online courses that are, again, we're looking back through this program and all the resources that exist and trying to pull out the things that seem to have the most impact on teacher practice and students as writers, especially when it comes to argument writing. So, um, been really interesting and fun to like try out actually we have mm -hmm. you know at, since we have some of this funding left over we have the freedom and to try out some different configurations for teachers so we've been looking into different lengths of courses uh, like our first one we had was four weeks long and then we tried out some shorter ones that were a week to 10 days long so we've tried out different lengths levels of support so you know how much how much support is an individual teacher going to have? Like the first one, every teacher had a, a thinking partner who was really dedicated to supporting them. And then we tried out some things that were more self-paced and mm -hmm. had less, you know, a lot more preparation in advance, but less facilitation in the actual course itself. And we're continuing, we're going to, we have plans to do a course at least every month for the next six months or so. And we're also developing a year-long course right now oh, on cool. teaching argument writing that will be really trying to take what has always been a face-to-face -face experience for teachers and put it into an online space where they would get all the all the parts of the program. Um, so that's been interesting. It's also been really interesting to try out different configurations for discussions to try to get the optimal level of engagement in discussion forums um, as far as grouping and prompts, um, you know, all those things. And then we've also, we're loving the new group feature mm -hmm. and how we put, you know, we can take people who are in a course and put them in a group with the course, but also specific announcements and resources and discussion forums. So, um, so like I said, so far, because the, the plan was initially really to, to focus on the building of courses, but we're also now looking at, okay, we've got more than 100 people in this community. What kind of community engagements are we going to offer for people who aren't taking courses to keep them there and to keep, to keep growing that? community. Connecting that to the earlier part of this conversation of all of the thinking, I think you're one of our our favorite partner because of the deep thinking that you do around teaching and learning and teaching writing. So just having that sort of expertise is so valuable. And you've talked a lot around how you've been scaling online communities of practice earlier, even with social media. So now you have a lot of almost data of how teachers come together and this really important component of online communities of practice is really between that teacher and teacher, teacher to teacher. So it's really fantastic to think about how you're experimenting. What are the right tools for a community of practice, which is really around that learning? What does that learning look like? both whether it's inside a course, outside of a course. So, you know, I know this, I'm only giving you a couple of minutes to think about this, but, you know, how has your experience with the C3WP plus what you're thinking about when you look at how teachers engage on social media, how you're thinking about your overall programmatic design? So all of the programs that National Writing Project are doing around equity and scaling this kind of access to teachers and also around teachers being writers, teachers being leaders, those social practices that you talked about. Like, how is this sort of impacting how you are going forward, even in a lot of your other initiatives? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you uh, mentioned the teacher to teacher thing too. So I know this isn't exactly what you're what you're asking at this moment in time, but so far all of and it will continue to be the way that all of our courses in participate and actually the community engagements are designed and facilitated by National Writing Project teacher leaders. So that probably won't surprise you, but that's also another way that we're staying connected to our local sites. Um, but I think, yeah, some things we're learning here, you know, that I, I've taken away from this is, first of all, how important it is to make sure that teachers can participate in these experiences in the community of practice on their own in a way that works for them. Mm-hmm. So one thing we're learning about is making sure to give people lots of options. So I mentioned that, yeah, yeah we've got, we're trying out different times, links and levels of support and all those things, but we also you know, by design are making sure that we're offering a lot of opportunities so teachers can pick the thing that works for them, that makes sense for their students at a time when it makes sense to them. So, I mean, it probably won't surprise you that we saw a bit of a lull in registration in our course in May because we're learning that maybe that's not the time when people are looking for courses, right? I mean, which would make sense. It's, Teachers aren't planning. We plan in June and July and August, but May is that your time when you kind of like might give yourself a break. So right. <laughs> that's one thing. Just trying to get through the end of the school year. Yeah, just get through and give me a minute to breathe. Mm-hmm. Especially this year. Press yeah. On. yeah, 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 for sure. So I think, and especially this year, it's been really important for us to give them opportunities. Like we, these courses, we are offering them within a time period because we want to make sure that there's interaction, right? in those discussions and people have time to talk back and forth, but also that pe- teachers can uh, complete them at their own pace um, and that there's lots of flexibility around when they get feedback and how they get feedback and actually what they're looking for from a facilitator. So we're learning that too. And then I think we're just learning a lot about in general, um, I don't the importance of giving opportunities for teachers to just try things out in their classroom without trying to explain everything, you know, in an online space. And I think one one thing I've noticed when I look at our previous websites is that we tried to like explain everything. Mm-hmm. We might have a 25 page document that explains an instructional sequence, mm-hmm. but actually it's much more helpful for people to just try things out themselves yes. and then try them out with their students and then think about the implications for their practice and, you know, integrating it into their own classroom. So I think that's another big thing is like, and maybe across all that we've just thinking we've done around social media and communities of practice is actually less is more and providing yes. opportunities, mm-hmm. like small opportunities. We are learning that too, Rachel. Yes. <laughs> so we'll see how this year-long course is going, is going to happen next year. But when it comes to a lot of it, like what are easy entry, small things that teachers can try out in their classrooms that, that could make a big difference um, mm-hmm. instead of trying to do everything, you know, everything every time in every place. Mm-hmm. As someone who creates a lot of content in a lot of different ways, and in a lot of different kind of um, areas of, of content creation. Um, one of the things, you wouldn't believe how much you can learn just from watching YouTube, for example, and, mm-hmm. and taking a look at outside the box, other, other people that may not even be in education. Like, so, for example, I'll tell you the truth. I've watched a ton of Dan TDM videos and he's a content creator, a Minecraft content creator. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, 
he's a professional content creator. And if, if you want to learn about how to create really engaging content, that's the type of content creator you might want to watch just to get a sense of the flow and the idea. And it's a learning experience, right? And not every educator, I, I believe all educators are content creators in, in some way, shape or form. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not something you are instantly good at, especially this online stuff. It's something that's a, it's a learned experience, right? So you're learning as you're going, right? Yeah. I have to say my, my husband and I are huge YouTube fans. Actually, that's our primary mode of entertainment is watch. Cause that, that's true. They, I mean, look at what they're trying to, mostly what they're trying to do is a 10 minute piece of right. content around an is, issue that they're interested in. Other people are interested in the goal is to make that as engaging and as interesting as possible. Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. And, and so speaking of that, you know, since the beginning of teaching, uh, people have taught other people how to write. Like, I mean, it's the first thing that you learn in some ways. Um, so because of that, in my mind anyways, we, we've kind of in some cases locked ourselves into old ways and methods of teaching writing. It's, it's just the way that we've done it and we've always done it. And, you know, teachers pass on their big binder of activities to other teachers and then they just, you just continue on. Um, but National Writing Project has been diving into some really innovative projects recently. Um, you know, again, you know, with my uh, affinity, uh, for games-based learning, you've launched a, a series of lessons on writing in collaboration with Minecraft Education Edition, and they're great. I was actually just playing one the other day because I'm working on a, a project related to them. Um, and so between that and C3WP, you're really innovating how writing is taught. And so my question is, how do you see these types of opportunities um, impact the future of writing and of language education? Yeah, thank you. So we definitely, I feel like NWP has always been looking for different ways to teach writing. And so now we're just looking more and more at this, like ways of looking at writing outside of education or how it's traditionally taught in a classroom. Like you said, I mean, we, I, I know it myself as a, as a high school English teacher, I would find myself putting like telling students these rules about writing that really we had imposed on ourselves, you know? So we, so you got like, which makes writing not interesting or engaging in the way that it's actually supposed to be and can be. And in some of the worst scenarios, it's like punishment. And actually what we want to think about is making writing interesting and engaging and a thing that students want to do. So of course, connecting to something like Minecraft, we look at that and say, okay, this is a this is a space to learn. Actually, you can learn a ton in Minecraft, and students are really engaged in it. So, what is the potential for a space like that for help for us to rethink what writing might look like in the classroom, and even actually get to places where students, because of their experience, might say that they're not even writing, right? Like they might not even see it as that because that's not their conception of of writing necessarily. And and similarly, in in C3WP, we really focus on community engagement and high interest topics for students to write and talk and think about things that matter to them and that are interesting to them, even if they don't know what matters to them yet. But like even looking for topics they might not even have ever heard about, but to introduce them so that it becomes an engaging and interesting thing for them. And one other, I was thinking about you talking about people outside of um, 
education and thinking about writing from that perspective, Mike, there's another project we are just now working on to develop a tool. It's a student-facing tool to support students in writing and going through the, the steps in the writing process. And we've actually come to, it's going to be, I think, a game-based experience, but that's about a studio, like a stu thinking of this metaphor of a studio when you're composing a piece. And to do that, we've gone to look for inspiration to a lot of musicians talking about their practice for coming up with ideas and composing and writing in that genre, because there's so many um, parallels, actually, to how real writers write in the world, which, again, I think is another thing that we're really interested in is what's interesting and engaging to students and what do people who write because they want to, what do they write for and how do they write? Um, and so very much about like looking for authentic audiences, civic engagement, writing about topics that matter to them or engaging in writing experiences that matter to them and are interesting, like through Minecraft. Um, but I think the ultimate goal for us through all these different things that we're willing to try out and interested in trying out is developing students' identities as writers. So helping them, instead of saying, I mean, how often have we heard, and I heard it all the time as an English teacher, I'm not a good writer. I'm not good at writing. And it's certainly not I'm a writer, you know, but actually helping them see that you you are a writer and you get to make decisions about what you write and how you write and what that actually looks like instead of these more like school-based, rules or conceptions of what mm -hmm. writing is, is supposed to look like. So, yeah, I think we're really interested in going back again to the connected learning pr principles, leveraging students' interests, finding ways for them to collaborate and for them to, to explore issues that matter to them in the world. Sounds great. It's awesome. Rachel Baer, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Participate. My name is Dr. Julie Kane. My co-host is Mike Washburn, and we don't do this podcast alone. The Participate podcast team includes production by Jane Violet and Becky Latoff, with editing and music by Aaron Kane. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at participate.com. You can tweet us at Participate. Mike can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn, and I can be found on Twitter at Julie Kane. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or in Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. Thanks as always for listening. Until next time.